team. Would you pray together with me? Father, we're grateful to be able to be together to praise you, to look heavenward today. It's going to be home someday. We're not there yet. We're just pilgrims, tented for a while, tabernacled for a while down here. Thank you for the hope we have in the Lord Jesus. Christ in us is our hope of glory. We pray as we open your word this morning that you, Spirit of God would be able to work and accomplish. Holy Spirit, what you would long to do. Would you teach us today? Would you draw us close to yourself today? We know your major purpose and goal is to glorify the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. May that happen as we meet around your word. Father, if there's someone here today who does not know you, I pray that today would be the day that through the finished work of your son, that they would be reconciled to you and that they too could experience the hope of glory. For those of us who do know you, we're grateful. Forgive us for not being faithful as we should be. Where we fail you, fail ourselves and others, we do that more than we'd like to, to think or admit or say. But thank you that when we confess our sin as your children, that you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great, great principle, truth, and promise. We claim that new and fresh this morning. Now, Lord, we count it a privilege to open and look at the inspired word of God. Have your way. That's our prayer. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, please? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you were with us last week, you realized that we were beginning a, a two-part message series entitled Why? Uh, behind this whole thought uh, basically is that... Uh, the accomplishment of great tasks in life. According to many who are motivational speakers, uh, those who are leadership gurus, especially Jim Rohn would put it this way, that the accomplishment of any great task is 90% why, 10% how. Uh, the thought behind that is that it's, if it's important enough to be done, we'll find a way to get it done. Um, the Apostle Paul here in 2 Corinthians 11 is sharing with us what he went through to fulfill God's promise or purpose in his life. I'd like us to read that to be, together beginning at verse, uh, I believe it's verse 23 where we'll pick it up. He said, I, I in a sense am out of my mind to talk like this. But he said, I've worked hard, I've worked much harder, I've been in prison frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. He said, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, 
in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Here's the Apostle Paul. God had called him, had a purpose for Paul's life. Paul is telling us, I believe here, that it was not easy for him to be faithful in his calling or God's purpose for his life. Uh, if you remember, we, we said there, there, there's a number of things that motivated the Apostle Paul, I believe. Uh, first of all, his own salvation experience that was unique on the road to Damascus. Apostle Paul was not in all supportive of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Matter of fact, anybody of the way, he called them the people of the way. Uh, matter of fact, the reason Paul was on his way to Damascus was to bring those people back and imprison them. So in no way did he give any credibility or credence to the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. But on the road to Damascus, he was uniquely saved. Came face to face, in a sense, with Jesus in that experience and it changed his life. His calling was a unique calling. The Apostle Paul is the one who God set aside, called and gave him this purpose of educating uh, the world about the church. He took him aside, he took him to Arabia, many believe, for some three years or so. Uh, great experiences, he taught him about the church because the church had not been recognized or taught about or talked about in the Old Testament, even in Jesus' earthly ministry. But Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. And then Paul tells us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the first few verses, he said there was a time in his life, I believe this is the Apostle Paul being talked about, when he was taken to the third heaven. The first heaven is basically what you and I can see and sense in the clouds. Second heaven would be the stars, the universe around the third heaven is, is, is God's abode. Paul said he was taken to the third heaven. He wasn't sure if it was a vision where he experienced that or literally taken there by God. He wasn't sure but he knows that he has been there. So those are experiences that are unique to him that you and I really can't identify with. But if you remember last week, we said there are some things that you and I can identify with, not only that motivated Paul, but if they would motivate you and me, they could be life-changing experiences or truths. So if you'll leave 2 Corinthians 11 and go with me to 2 Corinthians 5, we'll pick up our message from last week where we talked about six motivating truths that certainly, I believe, moved the heart of the Apostle Paul. It was part of what was behind Paul that gave him the capability of experiencing what we just read, where he went through all of these different issues and struggles and persecutions in his life to be faithful to his calling and to God's purpose for him. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we said last week that the, the first motivating truth we pick up on here is the judgment seat of Christ. Talking about that time when the believer will go face to face with the Lord Jesus, 
come glory, over there in eternity, when we're called home, that is an experience or truth that you and I will literally go through. And it's a time of accountability with the Savior. It's a time of reward. And we talked about 1 Corinthians 3 and what's laid out there about the foundation being the Lord Jesus Christ that we build upon. Once we come to know Christ, we're saved and secure in Him. And then what happens from that moment you and I come to know Christ is either gold, silver, and precious stone kind of building materials or works, or it's wood, hay, or straw, or stubble, that which will go up in the judgment fire, so to speak. And I, I believe with all my heart that the major uh, thought behind all of that is our mo motives. What are our motives when we serve Him? Uh, why are we doing what we do? That has so much to do, whether it's gold, silver, or precious stone type of material, or wood, hay, or straw type of material. Now, everyone will go face to face with the Lord Jesus someday. The believer will be the judgment seat of Christ. That's what Paul, I believe, was motivated by. And you and I ought to be motivated by that as well. But those who are unbelievers will not be at the judgment seat of Christ. They will later on experience what's called the great white throne judgment. The judgment of those who have refused to accept. They've rejected the Lord Jesus and his finished work at Calvary. And because of that, they will spend eternity separated from Almighty God in what we know to be a place called hell. It's a sad situation. Don't reject him. He loves you. He's done everything that he could possibly do to redeem you and I and our lost souls. Trust him. Look to him. Take him as your Savior, as your Lord. You want to be found at the judgment seat of Christ where God rewards those who are his children, who have faithfully served him. The judgment seat of Christ. And then if you look at verse 11, it talks about the fear of the Lord. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, other translations say the terror of the Lord. Paul said because of the fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, he said we persuade men. Basically, what's being talked about here is an understanding of who Jesus is, what he's done, who God is, and how God loved you and I so much that he gave his own son, and, and, and also the need for you and I as a human being to have a, a relationship with God through the work of the Lord Jesus. There's no other way to get to heaven. There's no other way to be right with God other than through the Lord Jesus and his finished work on Calvary. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by or through me. Folks, we live in a, in a nation and in a world that has all type of religions, all type of approaches, all kinds of what they would call gods, but, but they're trying to tell us that they're all the same God that's being worshipped. That's not true. There is no other God but Him. There are false gods that are being claimed other than Him. And there's only one way to get to the Father, Almighty God, and that's through the work of His Son, the Lord Jesus. Scripture says, neither is there salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you and I can be saved. 
the fear, the terror of the Lord, understanding what's going to happen to those who don't know Jesus, and understanding uh, what does happen to those who trust Christ. Paul said, I'm busy about this purpose or this calling of persuading people, sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus. And then in verse 14, it says Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one reference to Christ dying for all, therefore all died. And he died for all that those who should live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Talking about the love of Christ. When Paul thought of the fact that here he was rejecting the Messiah, his eyes were opened that truth. He was amazed that God loved him. That love of Christ for him moved the heart of Paul. It was also the fact not only that God loved him, but as a result of understanding that God loved him, Paul fell in love big time with the Savior, the Lord Jesus. And it motivated him. It changed his life. He said, for me to live is who? Is Christ. When I die, it's going to be gain. But for me, after meeting him, understanding who he is and what he's done for me, he said, for me to walk this remainder of my life in my earthly journey, for me to live is Jesus Christ. This thought of love here is divine love. It's a love that's implanted or it's placed in, in hearts like yours and mine, the, the renewed heart. Paul came to experience the love of God and his heart was renewed. And, and, and then out of that renewed heart, the Holy Spirit allowed the love of God to flow out to others. Not only did that love of God flow back to God from Paul in love with the Lord, but he had a heart for those who needed to know Jesus. He understood how being redeemed was the answer. The answer to life. The answer to eternity. The answer to his guilt and his burden and his bondage. And he wanted others to experience what he had experienced. I'm going to quote uh, something to you from Dr. Brian Chapel. He's the, the pastor in Peoria, Illinois, Grace Presbyterian Church. Um, I took it from a book that I pulled off the bookshelf. There's a number of these books called Unlimited Grace that he's written. They're out here. I, I call him Joel's pastor. Joel spent a a while at school down there and was under this man's ministry for a number of months, I think a year and a half or a couple years. But here's what he says. He said, when God's mercy or grace for and to us is understood, when that mercy and grace is understood and realized, I'd say when it's personalized, it fosters such love for God that we want to please and honor him. His mercy toward us stirs such overwhelming thanksgiving in us that we desire to live for him. It compels us. It controls us. He's talking about the chemistry of the heart. 
What he says is the force that the Bible engages to motivate and enable you and I to serve Christ and others. He said it's love. He said, how strong is this compulsion? Nothing is stronger. The most powerful human motivation is love. Guilt is not stronger. Fear is not stronger. Gain is not stronger. He says, what is it that drives a mother back into a burning building? It's love for her child. Such love is stronger than self-protection. It's stronger than self-promotion. It's stronger than self-preservation. Such love finds its highest satisfaction and greatest fulfillment in protecting, promoting, and preserving the object that it's focused upon. We're either in love with God, which we should be. We should be in love with those who don't know the Lord, as well as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it calls for this chemistry of the heart, or the love to flow in us and through us. A Christian for whom the love of God is the highest priority is also the person most motivated and enabled to serve the purposes of God. Folks, I believe with all my heart that the Apostle Paul personalized the love of God. It challenged him. He said, it compels me. It controls me, my thoughts, what I'm doing. Does it compel you this morning? Do you know what it is to be loved by God? Do you know what it is to love God? You see, when you and I have experienced who God is and what he's done, and when the Spirit of God comes in and takes over, and when we allow him to be on the throne of our life and, and, and remove ourselves off that throne, it's not a major task. It's a blessing to be able to walk with him and to trust him and to even obey him. You see, he, he has a plan for our lives. He has a purpose for our lives. He wants us to understand that. This love of Christ moved Paul's heart. Now stay with me here as we go to verse 17. Because we will summarize these other three motivations quite quickly. Verse 17. I call this one new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. If any man, any woman, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Do you see the importance of being in Christ? In Christ, those two words. MacArthur puts it this way in his study Bible. I want to share this with you. I, I thought this was powerful. He, he's saying in Christ, these two words comprise a brief but a very profound statement. It's talking about the influence of redemption in the life of the believer. That's what MacArthur is talking about. And he shares four key thoughts here. And it puts it all together, at least in my mind, maybe it will in yours. This thought of in Christ, it's the believer's security in Christ, the one who bore in his body God's judgment against your sin and my sin. 
the security we have now because of a personal relationship with Jesus, of being in Christ. He also identifies it this way. He said it's also the believer's acceptance in Christ with whom God alone is well pleased. The only way for God to be pleased with you and I is to look at us in and through the work of His Son. There's nothing within us that would please the Father. He's talking about the believer's acceptance. He's also talking about the believer's future assurance in Christ. The fact that you are in Christ means that the resurrected life of the Lord Jesus also is the forerunner of the resurrection of his children. That's you and I. And the believer's inheritance in heaven is ahead for you and I. Why? Because God has given you and I the opportunity to participate. Participate in the divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he loves me. Praise God that our eyes have been opened to the truth. That's what's happened if you're a child of God. Any believers here this morning? Well, you're in Christ, and you have so much to be grateful for if you're a believer. For about 10 years, I had the privilege of being involved in a prison ministry, directed that ministry, I believe, for, what, five or six years, called New Creations Ministries. And over those 10 years, I met with hundreds and hundreds of Michigan prison inmates. Had the opportunity of sitting down with, with fellas. Uh, it was called one-on-one, but it was often sitting at a table with eight or 10 men around, around us as we would share. And we had the opportunity of sharing the gospel of Christ with them. We had the opportunity of getting them in correspondence, Bible studies, evangelistic Bible studies, uh, uh, Barb had 30 or 35 of those prison inmates that she communicated with on a regular basis, grading their lessons, giving them the next lesson. It was an exciting ministry. But when you had the opportunity to sit down and share Jesus with them, uh, basically it, it has to be a very simple approach. And I would almost always use this verse as a starter point in what we were talking about. Uh, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, He's a new creation. I mean, if they have any sense, they want the old to be gone, don't they? And the new to come? I mean, if any of us would be honest, wouldn't it be great to have the old gone and the new to come? Well, if you're in prison and you know, in a sense, what put you there, uh, you want it dealt with in one way or another. You want hope. You want a future to be able to live for. And you know the response is, is we would often share the gospel. When I say we, it's other men as well sharing as I did. But often the response when I would share this particular verse would be this. They'd say, Joe, how can I get in Christ? If any person's in Christ, what? He's a new creation. Things have changed. If, if I can get in Christ, what does that mean? Well, praise the Lord for that. What, what an opportunity then, right? To share Jesus with him. Uh, the thought is, what do I have to do to get in Christ? We would share the gospel of how much God loved them and how he proved that love, what the cross was all about, whatever. This is what Jesus did when he shared with that maniac at Gadara. 
Remember that story? This fellow hanging out in the tombs and whatever. They tried to shackle him with chains and other things. And he was so empowered by the devil and the devil's cohorts, they couldn't control the man. But when Jesus showed up, he changed his life. The man left the setting he was in in a spiritual way and found himself in Christ. He had hope. Philemon was quite a wealthy man and had a slave, maybe more than one. And this slave was Onesimus. And Onesimus had served him. And he ran away. And he found himself alongside the Apostle Paul in Rome somewhere. And Paul led him to the Lord Jesus. This slave, Onesimus, was in Christ and his life changed. It was a powerful story. The woman at the well, she had a messed up life and future and past. And she found herself in Christ where she became a new creation. Old things were gone. Life became new. The apostle Paul was once Saul of Tarsus on his, road, on his way to Damascus to bring back those who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe that. He was a Judaizer. The Messiah had not come. Jesus was not that Messiah in Paul's mind. But he was struck down and he came to understand who Jesus was. He found himself in Christ, totally revolutionized his earthly life and his eternal life. I mean, if this doesn't resonate with you or me this morning, I want you to look up here for a second. I want you to look at me. I'm in Christ. I don't look like it. It's probably hard for you to believe. But I'm in Christ, and I praise God for that. And I'm looking at you. And some of you raised your hand. Most of you raised your hands this morning saying, I'm a believer when we said any believers here. You're in Christ. Do you realize what that means? Do you know anyone in your family or in your neighborhood or in your place of employment or in your classrooms at school, or whatever, who's not in Christ? Do you see why Paul shared this very thought? Therefore, if anyone, any man or woman, is in Christ, they're a new, what? Creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Never give up. Never get up. The key is to trust in Jesus Christ. Allowing the Spirit of God to convict someone and bring them to the place of knowing Jesus. Go with me to verse 18, would you please? It says, all of this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting men's sin against them, and he has committed us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul is motivated by a number of things. He's motivated by the thought of the judgment seat of Christ, the terror of the Lord, the love of Christ. He's motivated by this thought of being a new creation. 
Paul also understood that as a believer, the moment he became a believer, he became an ambassador for his Savior. I'm an ambassador of Christ, and I'm making an appeal. God is appealing through his children to implore others to be reconciled to God. Paul recognized that once he came to know Jesus, he was given the authority by the Lord Jesus to represent the King of Kings. The King's wishes, his desires, his orders, his policies, his plans, the plans of Almighty God for the world around him. Paul was sent as an ambassador to those around him to encourage them to be reconciled to the Father as Paul was. You see, the opportunity is there. But you and I don't have what it takes to be reconciled to the Father. We must come in and through the Son. But once we have come to know Jesus, you and I, it's amazingly true. What was Paul's calling is yours and mine as well. I mean, I'll never be the apostle to the Gentiles. That's not what God's called me to do. But he has called me, and he's called you as a believer to share Jesus. That's our calling. That's your calling. That's this church's purpose and reason, among many others, for existence in Princeton, Illinois. We're ambassadors of the King of Kings. In this passage, it says we're representing Jesus. Jesus is not here. The Holy Spirit of God is. He's everywhere. I understand that. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I. That's why this passage says, in His stead. In Jesus' stead, you and I are part of the reconciliation process going on. We are God's diplomats. We're His diplomatic agents of highest rank, folks. We're the resident representatives. We're the authorized representatives or ambassadors. We've been appointed by Him to assist Him in the reconciling of other individuals around us in this world back to God. That's who you are. That's how important you and I are in this world today. That's why He said that you and I are salt and light. You and I don't save anyone. But we know what it is to be saved. And we know what's behind all of this is the Lord Jesus and what He did at Calvary's cross for us. We also know there's no other way for anyone else to be reconciled other than to come the way that you and I have. That motivated the Apostle Paul. Now, I'll be honest with you. It doesn't motivate me like it motivated Paul. But should it? What's the answer? Yes, it should. And if I was a betting man, I would say it doesn't move you or motivate you either, like it did the Apostle Paul, does it? But should it? By all means, it should. Of course it should. Unless a person is in Christ, there's no possibility of them being reconciled to God. And unless they're reconciled to the Father, they're lost forever. Let me close by sharing with you what I believe grab the heart of Paul more than anything else. I mean, there's reasons why you and I struggle being ambassadors. You know why? There's a number of reasons why. A key reason is you and I are living in devil's territory. And he wants no part of you and I representing the Master and the Savior. That's why he does not give up 
if we're not careful, we do give up. And then often he wins the battle at times. God doesn't want it that way, but he allows that to go on. Satan's at work in and around your life, your home, in this church. We're in a spiritual war zone. We're doing spiritual battle, and the devil hates it. Like I said, he doesn't give up very easily. But if you and I could grasp this last thought in verse 30, 21, that he who knew no sin, the Lord Jesus, was made sin for you and me so that you and I could be declared righteous in God's eye. Jesus was not sin. He did not become sin as such. There is no, was no sin in him. But the Father took that sin and what it entailed and placed it upon His Son. You and I are not righteous as we walk around. We're declared righteous in the sight of God. You and I know we're not by the decisions we make and the choices we make. But in God's eyes, we're in Christ. We're home free, folks. We're settled once and for all in Him. And we have so much to be grateful for and thankful for. And I think this truth was grasped and personalized by Paul that here he was a murderer the first one of the first deacons Stephen uh, was killed in his sight and Paul said keep heaving the stones if you need more freedom put your cloak or your sweatshirt at my feet get the job done that fellow's a person of the way he doesn't have a place on this earth in Paul's mind Paul in a sense was a murderer who became a missionary what motivated this man? And then as a missionary, look what he went through. We read at the beginning of the message today. You and I will not experience the half of what the Apostle Paul went through. What motivated this man? All kinds of things. But the fact that Almighty God loved him enough to send his son and his son took upon himself what Paul deserved. Moved Paul. Gave him passion. Probably the most important motivating truth. Paul's the one who said, I fought the fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. I'm looking forward to being rewarded for it. Would you listen for a minute as we close? There's a voice calling me from an old rugged tree, and it whispers, draw closer to me. Leave this world far behind. There are new heights to climb, and a new place in me you will find. For whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord, that's what I'll be willing to do. For whatever it takes to be more like you, that's what I'll be willing to do. I'll trade sunshine for rain, comfort for pain, 
That's what I'll be willing to do. For whatever it takes for my will to break, that's what I'll be willing to do. Take the dearest things to me, if that's how it must be, to draw me closer to thee. Let the disappointments come. Lonely days without the sun, if through sorrow more like you I'll become. Take my houses, take my lands, change my dreams, God, change my plans. For I'm placing my whole life in your hands. And if you call me today to a land far away, Lord, I'll go in your will obey. For whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord, that's what I'll be willing to do. For whatever it takes to be more like you, that's what I'll be willing to do. I'll trade sunshine for rain, comfort for pain. That's what I'll be willing to do. For whatever it takes for my will to break. That's what I'll be willing to do. I don't sing that song very long, very often. It's been years since I've sung that song. Because I'm not sure that I can say whatever it takes for my will to break. I have no idea what that would take. I don't know that I want God to do that. But I do know I should. And if I should, you know what? So should you. Paul pretty well gave it all. Was he perfect? No way. But bless his heart, he's in glory. He's facing great rewards ahead because of his faithfulness to his master. He was motivated. And if you and I could just grasp a little of it, it could be life-changing. Not just for you, but for those that you are bevels with on a regular basis who need to know the Savior. Father, thank you for meeting with us today. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. But most of all, thank you for you, Lord Jesus, who counted a great privilege and joy to obey the Father that pleased you, that put joy in your heart for us to grasp just a portion of what you went through to redeem us, to reconcile us, to rescue us. We can't fathom that. We try. We just believe you and trust you. We've personalized you through simple faith. 
We've experienced your mercy and grace. And we're thrilled beyond measure. One of these days, we'll see you face to face. What a day of rejoicing that's going to be. Lord, thank you for meeting with us today. Cause each one of us to examine our hearts and our lives. There is a cost to be paid to trust you and obey you, but it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Thank you for meeting with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.